0: chapter 12 of phantomas by marcella lane and pierre suvestre this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Alan winterout phantomas by marcella lane and pierre suvestre translated by cranston metcalf chapter 12 a knockout blow the staff of the royal palace hotel were just finishing dinner and the greatest animation prevailed in the vast, white-tiled servants' hall. The tone of the conversation varied at different tables, for the servants jealously observed a strict order of precedence among themselves, but the present topic was the same at all, the recent sensational robbery from Madame van den Rosen and the Princess Sonia Danidoff. At one table, smaller than the rest, a party of upper servants sat, under managers or heads of departments, Monsieur Louis was here, the general manager, Monsieur Mullen, the superintendent of the second floor, Monsieur Ludovic, chief valet, Monsieur Maurice, head footman, Monsieur Naud, chief cashier, and last but not least, Mademoiselle Jeanne, the young lady cashier whose special duty it was to take charge of all the moneys and valuables deposited in the custody of the hotel by guests who wished to relieve themselves of the responsibility of keeping these in their own rooms. This small and select company was increased to-night by the addition of M. Henri Verbier, a man of about forty years of age, who had left the branch hotel at Cairo, belonging to the same company, to join the staff at the Royal Palace Hotel in Paris. "'I am afraid, Monsieur Verbier. You will form a very bad opinion of our establishment,' said M. Muller to him. "'It is really a pity that you should have left the Cairo branch and come here just when these robberies have put the Royal Palace under a cloud.' Henri Verbier smiled. "'You need not be afraid of my attaching too much importance to that,' he said. "'I have been in hotel life for fifteen years now, in one capacity or other, and as you may suppose, I've known similar cases before, so they don't surprise me much. But one thing does surprise me, Monsieur Muller, and that is that no clue has yet been found. I suppose the board have done everything that can be done to trace the culprit,' the reputation of the hotel is at stake.' "'I should think they have looked for him,' said M. Louis, with a pathetic shrug of his shoulders. "'Why, they even upbraided me for having had the door open for the thief. Luckily, I had a good friend in Mueller, who admitted that he had been completely imposed upon, and that he had given the order for the fellow, whom he supposed to be the second-floor waiter, to be allowed to go out. I knew nothing about it.' "'And how was I to guess?' The man was an impostor," Muller protested. All the same, Henri Verbier retorted, it is uncommonly annoying for everybody when things like that happen. So long as one has not committed any breach of orders, and so can't be made a scapegoat of, one mustn't grumble, Monsieur Muller said. Louis and I did exactly what our duty required, and no one can say anything to us. The magistrate acknowledged that a week ago. He does not suspect anybody, Henri Verbier asked. No, nobody, Muller answered. Monsieur Louis smiled. Yes, he did suspect somebody, Verbier, he said. And that was your charming neighbor, Mademoiselle Jeanne, there. Verbier turned toward the young cashier. What? The magistrate tried to make out that you were implicated in it? The girl had only spoken a few words during the whole of dinner. Though Henri Verbier had made several gallant attempts to draw her into the general conversation, now she laughingly protested, "Monsieur Louis only says that to tease me." But Monsieur Louis stuck to his guns. Not a bit of it, Mademoiselle Jeanne. I said it because it is the truth. The magistrate was on to you. I tell you, he was. Why, Monsieur Verbier? He cross-examined her for more than a half an hour after the general confrontation. While he finished with Müller and me in less than ten minutes.' "'Gad, Monsieur Louis, a magistrate is a man, isn't he?' said Henri Verbier gallantly. "'The magistrate may have enjoyed talking to Mademoiselle Jeanne more than he did to you, if I may suggest it without seeming rude.' There was a general laugh at this sally on the part of the new superintendent, and then Monsieur Louis continued. "'Well, if he wanted to make up to her, he went a funny way to work, for he made her angry.' Did he really said, "Henri Verbier, turning again to the girl, why did the magistrate cross-examine you so much? The young cashier shrugged her shoulders. We have thrashed it out so often, monsieur Verbier, but I will tell you the whole story during the morning of the day when the robbery was committed. I returned to Princess Sonia Danidoff the pocket-book containing a hundred and twenty thousand francs which she had given into my custody a few days before. I could not refuse to give it to her when she asked for it, could I? How was I to know that it would be stolen from her the same evening? Customers deposit their valuables with me, and I hand them a receipt. They give me back the receipt when they demand their valuables, and all I have to do is comply with their request without asking questions. Isn't that so? But that was not what puzzled the magistrate, I suppose, said Henri Verbier. You are the custodian of all valuables. "'and you only complied strictly with your orders.' "'Yes,' M. Muller broke in, "'but Mademoiselle Jeanne has only told you part of the story. "'Just fancy, only a few minutes before the robbery, "'Madame Van den Rosen had asked Mademoiselle Jeanne "'to take charge of her diamond necklace, "'and Mademoiselle Jeanne had refused.' "'That really was bad luck for you,' said Henri Verbier "'to the girl with a laugh, "'and I quite understand that the magistrate "'thought it rather odd.' "'They are unkind,' she protested. "'From the way they put it, M. Verbier, "'you really might think that I refused to take charge "'of Madame Van den Rosen's jewellery "'in order to make things easy for the thief, "'which is as much to say that I was his accomplice.' "'That is precisely what the magistrate did think,' Monsieur Louis interpolated.' "'The girl took no notice of the interruption, "'but went on with her explanation to Henri Verbier. "'What happened was this.' The rule is that I am at the disposal of customers to take charge of deposits or return them to their owners until 9 p.m., and until 9 p.m. only. After that, my time is up, and all I have to do is lock my safe and go. I am free until 9 o'clock next morning. You know that it does not do to take liberties in a position like mine. So when, on the day of the robbery, Madame van den Rosen came with her diamond necklace at half-past nine, I was perfectly within my rights in refusing to accept the deposit. "'That's right enough,' said M. Mueller, who, having finished his dessert, was now sipping coffee into which he had tipped sugar until it was as thick as syrup. "'But you were disobliging, my dear lady, and that was what struck the magistrate, for really it would not have been much trouble to register the new deposit and take charge of Madame Van den Rosen's necklace for her.' "'No, it wouldn't,' the girl replied.' but when there is a rule it seems to me that it ought to be obeyed my time is up at nine o'clock and i am forbidden to accept any deposits after nine o'clock and that's why i refused that lady's i was perfectly right and i should do the same again if the same thing happened henri verbier was manifestly anxious to conciliate the young cashier he expressed his approval of her conduct now i quite agree with you it never does to put interpretations upon orders it was your duty to close your safe at nine o'clock and you did close it then and no one can say anything to you but joking apart what did the magistrate want the girl shrugged her shoulders with a gesture of indifference you see i was right just now Monsieur louis is only trying to tease me by saying that the magistrate cross-examined me severely as a matter of fact i was simply asked what i had just told you and when i gave all this explanation no fault at all was found with me. As she spoke, Mademoiselle Jeanne folded her napkin carefully, pushed back her chair, and shook hands with her two neighbors at table. Good night, she said. I am going up to bed. Mademoiselle Jeanne had hardly left the room, before Henri Verbier also rose from the table, and prepared to follow her example. M. Louis gave M. Muller a friendly dig in his comfortable paunch. A pound to a penny, he said, that friend Verbier means to make up to Mademoiselle Jeanne. Well, I wish him luck, but that young lady is not very easy to tame. You didn't succeed, M. Mueller replied unkindly, but it doesn't follow that nobody else will. Monsieur Louis was not deceived. Henri Verbier evidently did think his neighbor at table a very charming young woman. Mademoiselle Jeanne had hardly reached her room on the fifth floor of the hotel, "'and flung open her window to gaze over the magnificent panorama spread out below her "'and inhale the still night air. "'When a gentle tap fell upon the door, "'and, complying with her summons to come in, Henri Verbier entered the room. "'My room is next to yours,' he said, "'and as I saw you were standing dreaming at your window, "'I thought perhaps you would condescend to smoke an Egyptian cigarette. "'I have brought some back from Cairo. "'It is very mild tobacco.' Real ladies' tobacco. The girl laughed and took a dainty cigarette from the case that Henri Verbier offered her. It is very kind of you to think of me, she said. I don't make a habit of smoking, but I let myself be tempted sometimes. If I have been kind, you can show your gratitude very easily, Henri Verbier replied, by allowing me to stay here a few minutes and smoke a cigarette with you. By all means, said Mademoiselle Jeanne, I love to spend a little time at my window at night "'to get the air before going to bed. "'You will prevent me from getting tired of my own company "'and can tell me all about Cairo.' "'I am afraid I know very little about Cairo,' "'Henri Verbier replied. "'You see, I spent almost the whole of my time in the hotel. "'But as you seem so kind and so friendly disposed, "'I wish you would tell me things. "'But I am a very ignorant young woman.' "'You are a woman, and that's enough. "'Listen, I am a newcomer here.' and I am quite aware that my arrival and my position will make me some enemies. Now whom ought I to be on my guard against? Who is there among the staff of whom I ought to be careful as doubtful associates? I ask with all the more concern, because I will tell you frankly that I have no personal introduction to the board. I have not got the same chance that you have. How did you know I had any introduction? The girl inquired. Gad, I am sure of it, Henri Verbier answered. He was leaning his elbows on the windowsill and gradually drawing closer to the young cashier. I don't suppose that an important position like the one you hold, requiring absolute integrity and competence, is given without fullest investigation. Your work is not tiring, but that does not mean it would be entrusted to anybody. You are quite right, Monsieur Verbier. I did have an introduction to the board, and I had first-rate testimonials, too. Have you been in business long? Two years? Three years?' "'Yes,' Mademoiselle Jeanne replied, "'purposely refraining from being explicit. "'I only act because I fancy I have seen you before somewhere. "'I recognize your eyes.' Henri Verbier smiled and looked meaningly at the girl. "'Mademoiselle Jeanne, on summer nights like this, "'when you are looking at a lovely view like this, "'don't you have a funny sort of feeling?' "'No. What do you mean?' "'Oh, I don't know.' But you see, I'm a sentimental chap, unfortunately, and I really suffer a lot from always living in lonely isolation. Without any affection, there are times when I feel as if love were an absolute necessity. The cashier looked at him ironically. That's all foolishness. Love is only stupid and ought to be guarded against as the worst possible mistake. Love always means misery for working people like us. It is you who are foolish, Henri Verbier protested gently or else you are mischievous. No, love is not stupid for working people like us. On the contrary, it is the only means we have of attaining perfect happiness. Lovers are rich. In wealth that lets them die of hunger, she scoffed. No, no, he answered, no, look here. All today you and I have been working hard, earning our living. Well, suppose you were not laughing at me, but we were really lovers. Would not this be the time to enjoy the living we have earned?" And as the girl did not reply, Henri Verbier, who, like an experienced wooer, had been drawing closer to her all the time, until now his shoulder was touching hers, took her hand. Would not this be sweet, he said? I should take your little fingers into mine like this. I should look at them so tenderly and raise them to my lips. But the girl wrested herself away. Let me go. I won't have it. Do you understand? And then to mitigate the sharpness of her rebuke and also to change the conversation she said it is beginning to turn cold i will put a cloak over my shoulders and she moved away from the window to unhook a cloak from a peg on the wall henri verbier watched her without moving how unkind you are he said reproachfully disregarding the angry gleam in her eyes can it really be wrong to enjoy a kiss on a lovely night like this if you are cold mademoiselle jeanne there is a better way of getting warm than by putting a wrap over one's shoulders and that is by resting in someone else's arms. He put out his arms as he spoke, ready to catch the girl as she came across the room, and was on the very point of taking her into his arms, as he had suggested, when she broke from his grasp with a sudden turn, and, furious with rage, dealt him a tremendous blow right on the temple. With a stifled groan, Henri Verbier dropped unconscious to the floor. Mademoiselle Jeanne stared at him for a moment as if dumbfounded. Then, with quite amazing rapidity, the young cashier sprang to the window and hurriedly closed it. She took down her hat from a hook on the wall and put it on with a single gesture, opened the drawer and took out a little bag, and then, after listening for a minute to make sure that there was nobody in the passage outside her room, she opened her door, went out, rapidly turned the key behind her, and ran down the stairs. Two minutes later, Mademoiselle Jeanne smilingly passed the porter on duty and wished him good night. "'Bye-bye,' she said. "'I'm going out to get a little fresh air.' Slowly, as if emerging from some extraordinary dream, Henri Verbier began to recover from his brief unconsciousness. He could not understand at first what had happened to him, why he was lying on the floor, why his head ached so much, or why his bloodshot eyes saw everything through a mist. He gradually struggled into a sitting posture, and looked around the room. "'Nobody here,' he muttered. Then, as if the sound of his own voice had brought him back to life, he got up and hurried to the door and shook it furiously. "'Locked,' he growled angrily. "'And I can call till I'm black in the face. No one has come upstairs yet. I'm trapped.' He turned toward the window with some idea of calling for help, but as he passed the mirror over the mantelpiece, he caught sight of his own reflection and saw the bruise on his forehead— with a tiny stream of blood beginning to trickle from a cut in the skin, he went close to the glass and looked at himself in dismay. juve though I am he murmured, "I've let myself be knocked out by a woman and then juve, for juve it was cleverly disguised, uttered a sudden oath, clenching his fist and grinding his teeth in rage. Confound it all, I'll take my oath that blow is never dealt by any woman." End of chapter twelve. Recording by Alan Winteroud, Boomcoach.blogspot.com.